0: Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for his purpose and his kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Well, good morning, Vessel Collective Church, and thank you for joining us live from the comfort and safety of your own home for church as we gather in the name of Jesus Christ this morning to open his word and hear what he has to say to us. So thank you, first and foremost, for being here and for participating. This is officially, Gary and I figured out, this is week five of Church at Home. So um, there's been a lot of things that we've learned, a lot of really fun moments, and as we've been recording all of these things, it's interesting because you uh, you can make a mistake on a Sunday morning when it is live um, and people don't notice, but when you make a mistake on camera, it is very difficult. So uh, I think w- when this is all said and done, we're going to have a great blooper reel of all of our mistakes and all of the moments that we've goofed or uh, said something strange or done some awkward thing. So um, anyways, hopefully we can all laugh at that. So thank you for being here this morning. Um, as we begin a new series, the last several weeks we've been talking about, um, we, we were in a month of what we were calling the last days, and we looked at the last days of Jesus' life, it's specifically in Luke 18, 19, and then finally last week in Easter, we were in Luke 24, and we look at the last few days of Jesus' life. And so we transition this week to a new series that we're calling the first days. Um, and I know that sells backwards from going from the last days to the first days and we're not doing the first days of Jesus' life, but we're doing the first days of the church. And so, uh, you're going to see here as we jump into the book of acts over the next several weeks, over the next month or so. Um, and it picks up right immediately. I'm talking about the very day, uh, that Jesus for Jesus' ascension, uh, the book of acts picks up. So there's no time that's lost, but it is really, we're taking a hard look at the first days. Of the church and i'm excited because i think that the lord is going to teach us something significant during all of this um, and, and through the truth that's enacted, act through uh, the the context of how we're doing church now through what the lord is doing through the vessel so i'm really excited about this series and what the lord has to say and to show and to teach us during this time uh, and before we jump in i want to encourage you i know we said it up front uh when we started worship but if you haven't liked, commented, shared, let us know you're here. Please do that. I I that has been the joy of my week is being online with you as we premiere our videos and our Sunday mornings live on Facebook. And so I love seeing the interactions in the comments and people sharing that they're watching. And it's been so cool for Shay and I to see, and this is just us, which I'm sure is the same for you. We've seen these people that Uh, from different parts uh, and different paths of our lives, joining in and participating and watching and commenting. Uh, And it's been really, really neat. I mean, Shay had, before we went to ministry, she was a teacher and so she had one of her students that she had like in second or third grade that now is a mother, and that makes uh, that makes me feel really old because I remember it when she was just a little girl. But we used to babysit them when she and I were newlyweds, and she joined in last week. And I mean, we were just so encouraged to see her there. And I think that there's a significant opportunity for the church in general and for the vessel during this time. And so... Uh, There are people that are watching, and there are people right now that are looking for something. And so it would mean so much if you could share this on your page, if you could uh, comment that you're here so that we can interact. And we talked about once we do go back to having services uh, together in the flesh, that what we need to do is figure out how to put, like on our screen on Sunday mornings, we need to have like a scrolling commentary board where people can... Uh, comment, or they can make jokes, uh, that sort of thing, because that's been a lot of joy. So thank you for doing that. And so as we jump in this morning, uh, I want to tell you, as we as we get into the book of Acts, before I pray and before we get into the uh, the Lord's Word, I want to take uh, just a look at Acts in general and give us a little bit of context about what the book of Acts is. Um, as mentioned, it happens, it's in the New Testament, and you may know this, but there are as many of us who don't. And so um, I don't want to just skim over that for someone that may not be fully aware, but the book of Acts is immediately following the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And a lot of people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Um, I, many could argue that it is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, but it is really the birth and the start of the church as we know it today. And you're gonna, I think we're going to see that things, the way we do church now looks very differently. Than the way they did it two thousand years ago, but we really see the birth of the church immediately after the ascension of Christ. And uh, Acts is written by uh, the apostle Luke. And a lot of us think, and I think it's been said before, that Paul has written the majority of the New Testament. The apostle Paul, but uh, if you look word by word and amount of verses, amount of words, there's an argument that that Luke has written far more. And even Paul. And so it's written by Luke and it, it serves as this bridge between the gospels and the epistles. And so immediately after Acts comes the epistles and epistles are letters that were written to the church and the different churches in the area. Uh, most of them, like I said, by Paul uh, and Acts serves as a bridge between Jesus' ascension and those churches that are growing and flourishing and becoming established and functioning as the body of Christ around the around the world. And so it covers about a 30-year span, about a 30-year span. And we see there's so many things that we take for granted or we just, and not that we take for granted, that is normal for us as Christians that happen here in the book of Acts, that, that are birthed in this place. So that the Holy Spirit, for one. As we see and we'll talk about next week, the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit uh, came in the book of Acts and, and and the Lord sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And we take that for granted a lot of time that we uh, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit with us. Now we see that uh, and, and as extension of that, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we see the Lord um use gifts of the holy spirit to equip his church to do the ministry of the kingdom we see evangelism and modern preaching as we know it and you'll see it in peter as we get in the next few weeks peter it really gives the first evangelical message that tells people and for the first time shares the gospel of jesus christ that stands that professes in the name of jesus salvation through the blood of jesus christ and we see people um come and find salvation in Christ and give their lives and are born again and are baptized. So we see all these things. We see missionaries for the first time. Uh, Paul was uh, was a missionary in every sense of the word. And so we, even at the Vessel, we have mish families of, from our church that have gone off and become missionaries and people of our church that are missionaries. And we see that established in the books of Acts. And we see dramatic conversions. We see the conversion of Paul uh, that's really dramatic and so all that to say i'm really excited and I want uh, As we jump into this I want to encourage you to really if you're looking for something to read in your quiet time to open the book of acts It's amazing um, To see the birth and the star of the church, so i'm going to pray and then we'll jump in this morning So pray with me Dear lord, we thank you for at the book of acts god. We thank you for a, a blueprint and a guide for uh, what church is supposed to be like God, we ask for forgiveness as we realize and we know and we understand that there are many things that we do even now that look differently. And so we just ask you, Lord, um, would we be able to set aside all of our normalcy and all the things that we think. Our church and we look at your word and I pray that even now, Jesus, you would speak. Uh, to our hearts and to, to our church about what uh, you intend your bride to look like? And will we be people that are willing to take that up and to, to lead into that? And so we thank you and we pray for you to gather with us in this time. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to be right at the start, as I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts chapter one. If you want to open your Bibles there, we're going to put obviously the scripture up on screen and I'm going to be reading from the ESV version uh, this morning as you've Maybe have noticed if you're new, but if you if you go to the vessel on Sunday mornings, I will jump around between translation. I love the NIV because it's what I grew up reading. But um, as I prepare scripture for Sunday mornings, I look at all different translations and and try to pick what I feel like is the most accurate and speaks clearly. And so we're gonna be reading out the ESV this morning. And Acts chapter one. If you look at our table here, so I have this this table that I preach at on Sunday mornings, and every week that someone teaches, not just me, we write scripture on this table, and the most common verse on this table is Acts one eight, um, and it is a very common verse that that most of us know that says. that that it is Jesus right before he ascends. He says this to the disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we did a whole series, a witness series, on that very verse. And uh, Diego, I see um, Diego's handwriting here. Joe was taught from it. And so right at the center of our table is Acts 1.8 which has probably been the thing that we've preached from the most in the past year and a half. But we're going to be reading in the latter part of Acts and looking there. And so if you'd read with me, beginning verse 12, um, Acts 1 says this. It says, When they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is the Mount of Olives, as we know, uh, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And so just as a caveat, um, they weren't, you know, on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to work. And so they couldn't travel was, uh, limited. You were able to travel on the Sabbath, but not a very far distance. And so, uh, they were at the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended. And so they were going back into Jerusalem and the word says it's a Sabbath day journey away. So not a very far distance and they had entered. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James and Andrew, where they were staying, Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And I love uh, that, that those words there, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. You know, we just sang that song, um, Every Praise, which is one of my favorite worship songs, which a secret note is that Gary plays that song for me because I love it. But we sing that verse, You know, Every Praise with one accord. And I know it sounds like as we're singing and we're worshiping the Lord, it's Uh, it's not just about singing of the same note or the same chord or in harmony with one another, but it's deeper than that. Uh, Singing with one accord is being united. It is unity in Christ. It's when we are singing that song, we are worshiping the Lord. We're doing it together. In unity in the spirit, His bride as a whole is coming, and we're worshiping Him and we're giving him every praise of one accord together. And that's what these disciples are doing here. All of these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayers. Verse 15. In those days, Peter stood, stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And he said, "Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he, was nu- for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field and the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. That is a very dark uh, and vivid description of the death of Judas. And it became known to all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Al-Kedema, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who had accompanied us during all that time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. And I'm going to read uh, in this verse 21 uh, it, what Paul is, I mean, what Pete, excuse me, what Luke is saying here is that as Peter standing up, he's talking about replacing Judas and the NIV version of uh, verse 21 says, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. And the Lord Jesus was living among us in verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men, must become with us witnesses to his resurrection. And they put forward two: Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles and this is interesting this this note that they cast lots if you remember as i mentioned before the holy spirit hasn't come yet and so they don't they don't have the spirit of the lord to guide and to give them discernment and so they're casting lots which was common in the old testament to discern what the lord was asking and so i i know this may be a strange scripture as we as we begin but i think At this very moment, we get this glimpse of how the church started, and we get this ascension of Christ at the Mount of Olives, and we get to see immediately what happens and how the church is truly birthed. And so there's some really important and substantial things that I think are important here for us to take note of. And so we're going to go through a few of these, and what I want us to look at is what the disciples did and what their response was, And then I want us also to look at what God did, um, not because of their response, but what God was doing at the same time. And that's kind of how we're going to close. So the first thing that we see out of these disciples uh, in this passage of Scripture, out of Acts chapter 1, is that they were faithful. The first thing we see in them is that they were faithful. And I know saying that, uh, that they were faithful, feels like an arbitrary kind of Christianese statement, right, that means that means everything but nothing all at the same time like that that we look at the faithfulness of the disciples but i think if we look closer you can see kind of what i mean by that and what significant what is significant about that as you see jesus has told them before he left them, at the, if you're if you were here last week for Easter in Luke chapter 24, and then again at the beginning of Acts, Jesus tells them a few things specifically about Jerusalem, and so the first thing Jesus tells them is he tells them to wait in Jerusalem. Luke 24 verse 49 says, and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, that's Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he tells them to stay in this city. And so this is one of the simplest yet hardest things that God asks of us, is that God asks us to wait. God asks us to stay. The Lord asks us to be faithful and to be patient And it's it's strange because that's a really easy thing to do. It's not um, stretching the disciples. They're not having to strive. It's just patience. And we know as Christ followers that that is a very simple concept and a simple thing, but it's one of the hardest things to do if God asks us, asking us to wait and to be patient. And I think about, I have a Brittany Spaniel Uh, Named Polly. And I think about her at the back door of our house. And so we have a door just like this at Gary's house. I mean, it may be the exact same door. And so she sits and she hates the squirrels. She loathes them. They have this, they don't have a love hate relationship. They have a hate hate relationship. And she terrorizes the squirrels in our backyard. And they get up in the tree and they chatter down at her. And I mean, it's just this hate hate relationship. And she will sit at the back door and watch the squirrels. And, um, And I see her whole body is quivering. I mean, she can hardly stand. I mean, from all the way down her body, she's quivering with angst. And so she has to wait for me to slowly unlock and open the door so I don't scare the squirrels so she can chase after them. And I think about us as Christophers. We're a lot of times, we're like that Brittany Spaniel. We're like Polly. We sit there and God is telling us to wait, and we're so anxious, and we're so eager to go after that with which we're to go after. Whatever it is, whatever's in our heart, whatever God has put on us to be faithful to, but it's hard to wait. It, and we, a lot of times, we're like that dog that's sitting there at the back door, and we're just not patient people. We live in a time in a world where things are instant. There's instant gratification. We have fast food, even now, and the circumstances that, that are surrounding us now, we can order online our groceries. We can go and pick them up. And sure, it's not the same day like it used to be. But we are people of instant gratification. When there's something we want or something we expect or something we need, we expect it now. We don't want to wait. We're not patient. And that's really hard when it comes to the Lord. Um, Gary and I were talking last week as he was he was saying, as we were kind of sharing what we're thankful for um, last Sunday, he said he was thankful that he went to the grocery store and he, he got all the groceries that he needed. And it was like this funny thing. It's like, that's oh, it's funny that I'm thanking God that I, I got all the groceries I needed, including toilet paper or whatever it may be that's been hard to find. But it was such a reminder of like, man, how have we taken for granted the instant gratification, the access that we have to things And we should be thanking the Lord every time we go and get groceries, every time we pull up and we can walk home with a bounty of food and things that we need to stay healthy and to stay safe. That is such a gift. And we take it for granted. And a lot of times we're not patient people. So what the Lord is telling that what Jesus tells the disciples here, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait. And he tells them to wait and to be patient. And the second thing he tells them about Jerusalem, he says not only to just go there and wait, but he says that your ministry is going to begin in Jerusalem, that your ministry will start there in Jerusalem. In Luke 24, verse 37, verse 47, excuse me, it says, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And I want you to know that for the disciples, going back, back to Jerusalem was not natural. That they had left the city, that they had gone to the Mount of Olives, that they'd seen Jesus ascend. But to go back into Jerusalem and for them to be faithful to do that and obedient to do that was powerful because Jerusalem was a place of danger. Jerusalem was a place that Jesus died on the cross. Jerusalem was a place of angst. And so for them, that Their tendency and their desire was not to go back to Jerusalem, but the Lord told them to go and to wait and to be patient. John 19 tells us that before Jesus appeared to them after his crucifixion uh, and after his resurrection, when he first appeared to them in the upper room, which is the same place that they go now, it says that the door was locked and they were in fear, that, that, that Jerusalem was a place of danger. And the easy thing for them to do would, would have been to go back to the Sea of Galilee, would, would be to go back to their hometowns, the places that they know, the places that they have community, the place that is safe, to, to get back into the fishing business and go right back to what they were doing before Jesus. And the truth is, is that we do this, is that when things get hard for us in our lives, our tendency is to retreat back to what we know. It to drive back to those things that are comfortable, those things that are known, those things that are easy. And so the problem with that is that when God is calling us out into something different, out into something that's more difficult, that's harder that's outside of our comfort zone, when we continue to retreat back to what we know and back to our own comforts, that what happens is we create a pattern in our lives. And we, we create a pattern of unfaithfulness and a pattern of disobedience, and it doesn't feel, I mean, it's, it's just, it's minor, and it doesn't feel significant when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, but it, it it's a pattern of disobedience. When God calls us and moves us outside of our comfort zone, but we go back to that which is comfortable It creates disobedience and unfaithfulness. And man, these disciples, man, they get a lot of flack for falling asleep in the garden during prayer, for Peter denying Jesus three times, for, I mean, all of these things that they they got wrong. But you see, at the birth of the church, the very first thing Jesus sends, and an angel comes to them and he says, and they're standing there, they're looking up at the sky, they're looking up at the heavens, and an angel comes to them and says, why are you staring up at the sky? And the angel says, get get to work. Don't you remember what he says? And so they are faithful. They go back and they wait patiently in Jerusalem. Verse 12 in our scripture says this. It says, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And then when they had entered. They went up to the upper room and they where they were staying. They went back to the very place where Jesus was. They went and they waited and they were faithful. And the truth is this, is that you can't be faithful without being obedient. You can't be faithful without being obedient. They didn't want to go back to Jerusalem, but they did. They didn't know what they were waiting for, but they waited. They were obedient, and you can't be faithful without being obedient. Many of us look at at our faith and and what Scripture says and what God puts on our heart as we we look at it as kind of some general guidelines or good advice or suggestions from God, and that's how we handle it. There are certain things in our lives that we just, admittedly or not, that we can take care of better than the Lord can there's a lot of things that we're willing to turn over to Him, to give to Him, to trust Him with, to be faithful for. But there are some things that we think, you know what, Lord, I've got this. My money, I, why don't you let me take care of this, right, Lord? I I know what I'm making. I've got this 403B set up, and uh, we've got this whole retirement plan. Why don't you let me take care of this for my family or my kids? I know what's best for my children. And man, in in our in our disobedience, we're unfaithful to the Lord and what he's doing in those things. And I wonder, like, what if the disciples had that mentality? What if they had the mentality of, okay, it's good. We'll wait, Lord, and we're going to wait for your Holy Spirit to come, but we're probably going to wait in Galilee. It's just a little bit comfort, more comfortable there. I haven't seen my family. Trust us, that's a better place to wait. And we look, a lot of times we look at our faith and we look at Scripture uh, like we look at Ikea instructions if you've ever put together an Ikea piece of furniture It's very simple and we look at the instructions and they could not make it simpler It is just pictures They don't even have words on a lot of time and we look at the instructions that we set it aside And that's how we look at scripture like okay. This is good. All right Now i'm going to go put this piece of furniture together and that's why we look at our lives And so first and foremost, it's substantial their faithfulness Is that they were faithful the second thing is is that not only were they, were, were they faithful, but they got to work. They got to work. As I mentioned before, they didn't know what they were waiting for. The Lord didn't say, you're going to wait for this amount of time, and then this exact thing is going to come. And they didn't know what they were waiting for, but they went back and they got to work doing the thing that Jesus did and that they knew how to do, which is they got to work in prayer. Verse 14 says, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. They all joined together constantly in prayer. So they went back out of faithfulness. They waited, and they got to work in prayer. They didn't just sit around wondering or twiddling their thumbs or whatever. They got to work in prayer. And so this was really convicted me this week. As, uh, as I prepared this message, as we've entered into this new series, I felt very convicted about this idea of getting to work in prayer because the truth is is that as we planned out uh, i mean we knew what we were going to be teaching this spring but with all of the coronavirus and the quarantine honestly we hadn't thought much beyond easter at least i hadn't i thought we're going to be doing this for five weeks let's get to easter and then let's regroup and see what's next and so we got to last sunday Uh, And we made it through Easter, and and we've got all of this technology figured out, how to have services together. And I found myself this week asking the question, what's next? Now what? We've gotten here. We've done that. What's next for the vessel?" And so this scripture and this idea of the disciples getting back and getting to work in prayer was very convicting to me. And so we had our very first uh, we had a prayer call this past week with our prayer team, and it was on Friday afternoon, and it was an incredible time. And so we're going to continue to do these to do these prayer calls. And so if you want to be a part of that, I will put an email down at the bottom of your screen here. Uh, it's pray at vessel.church. If you email this email and say that you want to participate in our prayer call, um, you, we will get you in on that call. We'll get you credentials. We'll follow up with you. Um, but we're going to begin doing these prayer calls. So here's a way that you can um, to be active in prayer right here, right now. And so a lot of people argue that, the you know, if you look through Acts, and you're going to see over the, next, the course of the next month, that prayer is so constant and consistent, and the the disciples are so faithful to prayer that a lot of times the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles could be called the Acts of, uh, of Prayer, and you see the ministry that happens in prayer, and so, and this was began, and this foundation was laid out by Jesus Christ. You see, the disciples didn't have the Holy Spirit to convict them to go and pray like he's doing to me right now right? But the, all they did is they saw what Jesus did, and they saw the foundation of Jesus' ministry was a ministry of prayer, is that Jesus would often, Scripture says that he would often withdraw in prayer. In Mark chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000, it says, after leaving them, he, being Jesus, went up to the mountainside to pray. And Luke uh, chapter 5, after he healed a leper, it says, but often Jesus withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. And man, you think about like a lonely place doesn't feel comforting, but Jesus again and again withdrew himself out of ministry to a place of prayer. Uh, Jesus would pray in the mornings. In Mark chapter one, it says very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And so I, I wonder, uh, we had a call this week with some friends of ours. I don't know if you are like us and your kids are at home if you've been up before the sun, but man, you have an opportunity. Set your alarm, get up before your kids and go to a solitary place in prayer. In Psalm chapter five, it says, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Jesus prayed in the evening. In Luke chapter six, it says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and to spend the night praying to God. The entirety of the night, the Lord spent in prayer with the Lord. Lamentations chapter two says, arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin, pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. And we see how significant, how substantial the ministry of prayer is to Jesus. And then we see the disciples take up that torch of prayer and begin that prayer of ministry and the birth of the church. In Acts chapter 4, and you're going to see this every week as we talk, every week we're going to talk about prayer, every week as we look at the first days. Uh, in Acts chapter 4, it says the ground shook when they prayed. Acts chapter 12, that said that captives literally, literally were set free, that Peter was freed from prison while they were praying for him. And the truth is this. The truth is, the truth is that the ministry of the church is the ministry of prayer. So I wonder, is the ministry of prayer alive and active in the church today? Now I'm not just talking about Vessel Collective Church. I'm not talking about you and me specifically. I'm talking about in general. Is the ministry of prayer alive, healthy, and active in the church today? You know, during this quarantine, there's a lot of things that, are, that we're taking more of. Like you look online or you hear from people and that people are eating more. And I can testify that to our, our, our own home with our children, is that they're bored and they, they want to eat and they're, they're eating a lot more food and they're getting outside and exercise more, but there's a lot more eating going on is that during this quarantine there's a lot more drinking that's going on. I mean, you look at statistics and you can laugh about it, but uh, liquor stores and alcohol, there's a lot more eating that's going on, a lot more drinking that's going on, a lot more television watching that's going on. Raise your hand if you have not seen Tiger King on Netflix. I'm yeah, I'm, Gary Gall is raising hand. I'm assuming that means either he doesn't have Netflix or he is a, a much busier, more efficient person than I am. But, man, you see, like, people are, are watching a lot more television and shows. But, man, what about prayer? Is it here we've been given this gift of being home and being in isolation? And are we devoting ourselves and giving that time towards prayer? As we have plan these prayer meetings, this is a confession. I find myself as we think about these prayer meetings, worrying like, well, I don't want to make it in the evening and inconvenience people. Like, I don't want to schedule a prayer meeting at nighttime when people have their, you know, when they're watching TV or they're being together. And I wonder, like, was that ever the concern for the disciples, for the birth of the church, for Jesus? Was he ever worried about people's schedule when it came to prayer? So not only were they faithful, but also they got to work and they got to work in prayer. And the last thing that the disciples did is that they shared in the ministry. They shared in the ministry. Verse 17 says, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And this is Peter speaking about Judas, Judas the betrayer, the one that gave Jesus up, right? That the, the, the one that I, I try to think about, the, the anger and the hate and the... Feelings that these guys had towards Judas, how betrayed did they feel? And even in that moment, I mean, even in that moment, that Jesus, I mean, that Peter still pointed out that Judas shared with them in that ministry. And while Peter was the one that stood up to speak, uh, as you see here, it the scripture mentions everyone that was there, Um, you know, and and Peter. Uh, he rises and, and it's in the book of acts in a lot of ways the lord uses him to rise up as this leader And I love peter and you can look at him through scripture and I mean, he does a lot of really Funny and really awesome things, uh that I admire about him both funny and awesome, but he uh He rises up in this moment as this leader. They're standing up there. It says there's about 120 people there, and Peter stands up and begins to share, and God kind of raises him up as this leader. And I don't even know if it was as much of him being a leader as him not being able to handle someone not leading. You know that person that's in your small group that can't handle the silence, like a question is asked, and there's that one person in small group. You just have to wait, outweigh them, and it doesn't take long, and they will speak because they can't handle the silence. So I wonder if Peter's a lot like that. He just can't handle it. So he stands up, and he begins to speak, but he begins to talk about them sharing in the ministry together, and it starts with 120 people gathering in the upper room, and the ministry of The ministry of the church grows far beyond that. You think about 120 people, you think, well, that's not a very small church. Like maybe they needed a better social media presence, or maybe they needed better music, or maybe they needed a more charismatic preacher, or maybe they needed a more polished service or produced service. Um, But it began with this 120 people. And as you look through and as you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see that it jumps from person to person. And I, I always have a difficulty reading through Acts. Um, the story and what happens is clear, but the people, sometimes I'm like, wait, where did this person come from? And you, you see ministry jump from person to person to person. And, and sometimes we think about our church growing. And not just the vessel, but church in general. And there's a shame that's around that. Like, oh, well, we should just be satisfied or thankful with what the Lord is doing. But I believe in the ministry of this church. I believe in the ministry of the church. And I believe that God's heart and what the Lord wants is for that to grow. Just like it did in Acts. For it to jump from person to person to person. For it to be shared. And the truth is this. The truth is that the gospel spreads through relationships. That gospel that the gospel spreads through relationship, from person to person. I heard a statistic this week. Uh, it was just on Thursday as I was uh, driving in my car. Uh, I was listening to. NPR, and they talked about uh, statistics about the infection rate of the coronavirus is dropping. And it's dropped below one to one, meaning that if if someone is infected by the coronavirus, then they, now they will infect less than one people. That it's like one person will infect 0.9 other people. So if 10 people get it, they will only infect nine people, which seems like a move towards the positive. People are still being infected and the disease is still spreading. Um, But I wonder, like, what is the infection rate of the gospel? Like, as we think about the good news and salvation in Jesus Christ, at what rate is that infecting other people? Because I believe strongly that the gospel travels along relational lines. And I ask you the question, who are you infecting with the gospel? Who are you sharing that with? And that's why it's so important that we see ministry as shared. It's easy to look at, at the institution of church and the function of church as we have people that are hired and in roles and responsibility to do the ministry. But truly, as you look in the books of Acts, ministry is shared among all the believers. That it's not on the pastor. It's not just on Peter. It's not just on the 12 disciples. Ministry is spread from person to person through relationship, and that's why we call ourselves. That's why our name is Vessel Collective Church, and that word, then the idea of being of, of being a collective, has identified our church more than any other word, and it's been amazing because um, what collective truly means it means parts that make up a whole, and ironically, when we first started out and we talked about our church being called Vessel Collective Church. The word collective was a, a source of contention early on or uncertainty is that people felt like this, this word was too new ages and it didn't fit within the Christian language and context of what we knew. But man, that, that here we are 18 months later and that word and that idea has really embodied who we are. And I think that the vessel does this well. I believe we share in ministry well. I believe that we all take it up and we take heart and, and take, we take it seriously that we're called to this church together. And so I, I think that that is the first thing. As we look at the birth of this church, we see the, the faithfulness of the disciples. We see them getting to work in prayer, and we see that the ministry is shared among them. And then the last thing as we close I want to leave you with is I want us to look at what God did wants to look at what God did. And what God did as a response, and at this time, as the birth of the church, is that God raised up leaders, is that God raised up leaders. Verse 23 says, and they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from Judas who had turned aside to go to his own place. And for the first time ever after Jesus left, we see God begin to raise up leaders within the church. So I want you to know our board, like our leadership team right now is going and creating, going through an eldership process that we're praying and, and, designing and creating an eldership process to be able to lead and guide the vessel in the future. And not just a year or five years, but 25 years down the road, long after none of us are even here, that we create a healthy biblical eldership process for us. And it's straight out of the epistles and it's straight from the book of Acts. And so it's important to understand and and to know why It's so significant to have leaders. And while we see that here and while the Lord is doing that at our church, raising up leaders, and so he's raising up biblical leaders. And so a biblical leader is several things. And so the first thing a biblical leader is is the first and foremost, a biblical leader, according to Scripture, is a witness to Christ. Verse 22 says, One of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. If you were here at the beginning of the year, we spent a whole Month, month of February, talking through what it meant to be a witness for Christ. And you know that word witness here is the word martus, to martyr yourself, to be a martyr for Christ. And first and foremost, a biblical leader is someone who is a witness for Christ. And that's the first and most important thing. Second thing a biblical leader is is a biblical leader is from among the flock. And this is really subtle in this moment, but really important, is that the, the disciples that go out and put a job application out, said, all right, you know, and hang it up and get on Indeed and put a job application for leaders for the first church, right, or the birth of the church. Verse 21 says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all this time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. Is that scripture says, that they wanted someone who had been with them, someone from within, someone that God, that had, had walked beside them, that they knew to be of good character, they knew to be a witness of Christ, and for God to raise that person up. So, so not only is a biblical leader, a, first and foremost, a witness of Christ, but they're also from among the flock. The next thing is a biblical leader is qualified by the heart, is qualified by the heart. So in as I mentioned, this eldership process, we're reading this uh, this gospel eldership book that's kind of helping create a conversation with our team about what eldership truly looks like biblically. And so um, we finished kind of the first half of the book, and at the end, there's a, there's a quiz that I guess quantifies how qualified you are to be a leader. And there's a lot of things in there about character, about competence, uh, about your compatibility with the church. And in the competence section, it has a question. It it asks you to rate yourself from a one to five, one being this isn't me at all, five being this is me 100%. And so one of the questions as you're writing yourself, as I'm looking through, it, it says, it said, um... Rich yourself a one to five, whether you understand this, and it's literally said basic theological vocabulary, such as, and the first word that listed there, I'd never seen before, nor could I even pronounce. And it said that you understand basic theological vocabulary. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm obviously a one uh for that one because i don't even know it i don't even know how to pronounce that word much less what the basic vocabulary is but the truth is and it's not that that book is bad and i get what it's getting out um and don't worry not all my competence were one uh but what scripture says in verse 24 it says they prayed and said you lord know the hearts of all and for a leader to be raised up and who god was raising up they asked god you know the heart and that's how you qualify, and that's how you judge. And the competency comes from our heart, not from our head knowledge or what experts we are. And last thing is, as a biblical leader is chosen by God. And for me, this is the greatest comfort of all. And this gives me peace and gives me comfort and confidence in the Lord. Is that the biblical leader is chosen and appointed by God. Verse 24 says, Show which one of these two that you have chosen to take the place in this ministry. As that what the disciples did, as they went to the Lord, as the Lord was birthing this church, what God did is raised up leaders, and they said, Lord, you know our hearts. You know the one that you've chosen. You know the one that you've appointed and put in this place. And so I want to encourage you, church, to pray for your leaders. If you're watching this and you're not part of the vessel, Uh, and you you know your pastor, and you know the elders that are part of your church and help lead to be praying for them. And I think that as we enter into these first days, we're going to see a lot of things that challenge us, like I was challenged this week on prayer on getting to work on the ministry of prayer, and that that should be first and foremost, not something that we begin our service with and end our service with, and that do before a meal and do right before bedtime as bookends to the real ministry, but prayer is the ministry that we're called to do, right? There's gonna be things like that as we enter in this journey that convict us, and I pray and encourage you to lean into those things, those things that convict, those things that challenge you, don't be like those of us that run back to what is comfortable. But be faithful to step into those things, even if they challenge you, even if they're uncertainty, even if they push you. That is the Lord, and that is the Lord growing you. So I want you to lean into those things, and I think there's going to be other things that encourage us and to remind us of how much God loves us, and how what we're doing, and being the church, that God's hand is on it. And like things like this, like that God is raising up leaders, that he's raising up from among the flock, that he's finding, he's investigating our hearts, not our minds, and he's choosing and appointing people. So as we close, I just want to pray for that. I want to pray that Lord does something in this series. And our worship team is going to come and close us in a, in a song of worship. Thank you for being here this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your church. God, I thank you that we get to be a part of it. I thank you that you use us. God, I thank you that you love your bride. that you raise up leaders, Jesus. I pray that as we enter into this first day series, God, that you would challenge us so that we can grow. Lord, that you would encourage us so that we can have peace. God, and that you could move us forward to, to be the church that you're calling us to be. Lord, we thank you for Vessel Collective Church. I Thank you for every person that calls that home. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.